This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, we begin a new journey today through the book of Romans. Been looking forward to this for a while, um, and it's going to be an exciting time together in just one of the most foundational books of God's Word. The title of this series, People Made New. Today the journey begins. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I I thought I was going to get through verse 7 this week, not going to be able to do it. We're going to get through the first four verses and just kind of introducing Romans today. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 4 as we just kind kind of introduce some of the main themes in the book of Romans. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. If you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, if you don't have a copy of the Bible uh, with you, it's page 939 in the Pew Bible. Page 939. Romans 1, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be seated. Father, we ask for your spirit to be with us as we walk through this incredibly foundational part of your word, which is so full of spiritual treasures that you can use to bless us and to empower us to go forth and to be a blessing to others. And so, Father, we we ask that you would do things in our lives this year as we walk through the pages of this book together, that your spirit would work and move and, and, and encounter us where we need to be encountered, change us where we need to be changed, challenge us where we need to be challenged, comfort us where we need to be comforted. And so, Lord, you know the needs of every person in this room now, and we pray that you would work and have your way these next few minutes together. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe for the new year, you, you made some resolutions involving the use of your time. Maybe you made a resolution to maybe spend less time watching TV, less time on social media, less time cruising the internet, and instead you want to devote more of your time to studying the Bible. And if you made a resolution, anything like that, I, don't want, I want to commend you for it. That's a life-changing resolution. I would confess, I have wasted far too many of the precious hours that God has given me to steward in my life. But I don't regret a single moment that I have spent in concentrated study of 
the Word of God. Because through the Scripture, the Spirit of God is, is unleashed. And we, we, we see and savor the living God through His Word. We encounter Him. He encounters us. And as a young Christian... I was especially drawn to the book of Romans. One summer when I was in seminary, I lived in Canada helping to plant a church that summer. And with just about every moment of spare time that I had, I, I dug into Romans. I, I, I wanted to teach the Bible. I sensed that understanding Romans was kind of foundational to understanding the rest. And so I spent that summer just pouring over the pages of this book and sort of marinating in it and taking tons of, of notes and everything. And I look back on that summer as just an incredibly sweet time in my walk with the Lord. But you know, I, I look back on that summer now and, and I realize that I was sort of like one of the settlers at, at Jamestown who knew that they had, they had discovered something brand new and they had set foot on, on North America, but they had no idea of the treasures that were there in North America. They had just seen a, a little sliver of the southeast Virginia coast. And they had no idea of the majestic Rocky Mountains or the mighty Mississippi River or the Great Plains or the stunning beauty of the painted desert and the Pacific Coast. And so I, I look back now on that summer that was so sweet, and I felt like I had encountered a whole new world, but I, I realized after all these years of studying Romans, no, I just discovered a little corner of it. <laughs> and since that time, and, and going to Romans again and again, there's so many new treasures that have opened up. And it's going to be that way this year as we walk through it together for you and for me because every week and just digging into it I know there's just more and more treasure to be discovered at one point when he was writing the book of Romans under the influence of God's spirit uh, Paul pauses in Romans 11:33 and he says oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God and that is my prayer for this series, that we will be awestruck by this God that we have come to love and who loves us. One New Testament scholar says this about the book of Romans. Michael Bird says, when people read Romans, big things happen. Paradigms shift. Decades of compromise are called out. The superficiality of Christian culture is named and shamed. We are refreshed by a scandalous grace. Joy in the gospel is rediscovered. And the mission of the church is reaffirmed. Well, today... What we're going to do is sort of, we're going to sort of go into the, the welcome center. You know, when you're traveling down the interstate and you enter a new state, sometimes it's helpful to pull off the road, go into the welcome center and get a few brochures. It's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of go into the information center, the welcome center of Romans, and we're just going to kind of take a look at a few of the themes that we're going to explore as we walk through it. A couple of foundational questions that we're going to look at today. First of all, 
Who is Paul? Look at verse 1. <clears throat> he introduces himself there. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul here, we see his humility because rather than uh, opening up by touting his credentials as an apostle, the first word that he uses to describe himself is servant or more literally in Greek, slave. Dr. N.T. Wright says this about that verse and Paul's description of himself as a slave. Paul announces himself with the word that above all others in his world carried overtones of social degradation. Slaves had no rights, no property, and no prospects. They were simply there to do what they were told. Modifying this to servant as though Paul were a free agent who happened to have a job as a cleaner or butler misses the point. Well, I understand why a lot of English translations, almost all of them, render this uh, word doulos as servant. It's because of the, all the, uh, the connotations of, of the word slave. But, but Paul uses the word slave here for a reason. And the point that he is making is that I am not my own. As he says in 1 Corinthians, I've been bought at a price. And the word slave means that, that, that he absolutely belonged to Jesus. And that he was no longer in charge. And that should be our perspective. Let me tell you, life changes when you realize you're not in charge of it anymore. And a lot of the misery that we go through in life as human beings is because we are trying to take charge of areas where God needs to be in charge. And we need to be absolutely submitted to him. And let God be God. Let Christ be our master. You know, in, in baseball, there's a term that they use when batters are swinging at pitches that are outside of the strike zone. They call it expanding the zone. It's the worst thing you can do as a hitter. Because you're, you're swinging at pitches that you, that you can't hit. You're, 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 ex, you're allowing the pitcher to expand the zone. We, we, we try to expand the zone all the time in our lives. And we try to get into areas that are God's areas. We try to take control of, of areas that, that really belong to Him. For instance, when we worry about stuff, that, that should be a, a red siren should be going off when you begin to worry because really what we're doing there is we're expanding the zone. <laughs> we're getting into areas that, where we should let God be God. And we just get to joyfully, freely serve him. And understand, we're not in charge. We just get to be joyful servants, slaves of, of, of a master who loves us and gave himself for us. Let's take a look at verse 1 here uh, again. Paul goes on and he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now there's a great irony here because before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was a Pharisee and he, he prided himself on being set apart from other people. He prided himself on being set apart from, the, from ordinary Jews and especially prided himself on being set apart from Gentiles. And one day, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest 
followers of Jesus when he was encountered by the risen Jesus and Paul himself was arrested by the risen Christ and set apart. This time, not set apart in in pride from other people, but set apart to go to the very people that he once hated with the gospel. What an amazing God that we serve. And by the time that he writes the book of Romans, which is probably in 57 A.D., Paul had been set apart for the gospel for over two decades. He had been planting churches and evangelizing and discipling all over the Greco-Roman world. And now he has an ambition to go as as far as people knew that the Greco-Roman world extended to the west at that point, which was Spain. And on his way to Spain, he's going to stop at Rome. And so he says in chapter 15 and verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And so Paul's plan is to visit the church at Rome and then go on to Spain. Now, as we're going to see next week, this is, he's never visited the church at Rome. And so what he's doing in Romans is he's kind of introducing himself and the message that he preaches to them, which is why the book of Romans is different from a lot of his letters. In most of Paul's letters, he's, he's writing to churches that he had pastored or that he had planted, and he knew the people. But he's never had a chance to visit the church at Rome. And so the character of the letter of Romans is that he's introducing himself and the message that he preaches to these people. And so therefore it has a very kind of a, a complete sort of character to it. Because in Romans, he's, he's sort of introducing sort of the, the, the big message that he preaches. And so that's why we just get to see the gospel kind of unfolded in such a, you know, a holistic kind of way in this letter. The second question that we want to ask this morning is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, this is a question that we're going to be unpacking throughout the whole letter, but we're just going to hit a part of it today. He says in, the, in verse 1 again that he is set apart for the gospel of God. So the word gospel means good news, but it meant different things depending on your, where you were coming from. So for Paul, as a Jew steeped in the Old Testament, he was drawing from a, a very deep well in the Old Testament of what the gospel was. And so he, Paul, when he, when he talks about the gospel as a Jew, he is, he is drawing from passages like Isaiah 40 and verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And then... Isaiah 52, 7, which he is going to quote later on in the book of Romans. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so here, 
the gospel in the Old Testament is, is God coming to rescue his people and to reign. Things have been broken, but now God is, is, is breaking in. He has come to rescue and to, and to reign, to, to, to fix what is broken. Okay, but, but now, as Paul preaches this gospel, he is going to add a new element to that gospel from the Old Testament because now what he's going to be preaching is things have been broken and yes, God has come. God has broken in to heal us of our brokenness by being broken himself on a cross. And he has been raised from the dead and he has been exalted to the highest place and he reigns as king and there is forgiveness and there is new life for those who will repent and believe. And then the word gospel in the other world that Paul moved in, which was the Gentile world. Even Paul's Jewish, but, but Paul has grown up uh, in Tarsus, which was a very cosmopolitan city. He had grown up uh, surrounded by lots of Gentiles, spoke their language, understood how they thought. So to those folks, the word gospel had a very different meaning. They weren't steeped in the Old Testament. To them, the word gospel was what happened when a new emperor would come to the throne or was born because heralds would be sent into the, the, the cities to uh, uh, announce what they termed as, the, as, as the, the gospel, the good news that, hey, we have a, a new emperor has come to the throne. A new emperor has been born and they were supposed to all rejoice. <laughs> but they would turn away and roll their eyes because they knew it wasn't going to make any difference in their lives. But see, we get to announce a gospel that changes everything, that makes people new. Take a look at verse 2. Paul says of this gospel that it was promised beforehand. God had promised it beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the Holy Scriptures he's talking about here in verse 2 is the Old Testament one of the themes that we're going to see in Romans is that this gospel did not just sort of fall out of nowhere, but that it flowed from the promises of the Old Testament. And Paul is very careful to emphasize the Jewishness of Jesus to this predominantly Gentile church. As he continues here in verse 3, he says it is, the gospel is concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Again, he's very careful to emphasize the Jewish ancestry on the human side of Jesus. Now, why does he do that? Well, one of the themes that we're going to see throughout Romans is that there was, there was a tension that was happening in that church between followers of Jesus from a Jewish background and followers of Jesus from a Gentile background. And so what Paul is going to do in Romans is he's going to speak to both groups. And he's going to say to Gentile believers, many of whom uh, sort of uh, had forgotten <laughs> that the life-changing thing that had happened to them in the gospel flowed from the Old Testament. 
It flowed from Judaism. And, 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 and many of the Gentiles in the church seem to have forgotten that. And they, 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 needed, they needed to be reminded of the Jewish roots of their faith. And then another thing that was happening in the church is that some of the Jewish followers of Jesus wanted the Gentile, some of their, they wanted their Gentile brothers and sisters to adopt Jewish customs. And Paul says he's going to speak to them and say, hey, that's not right either. So one of his biggest concerns in Romans is, to, is for the unity of the church. And we're going to see that as we walk through it. Another major theme that we're going to see in Romans is the resurrection, which he talks about in verse 4. He talks about the, 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 the origin, the, 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 uh, how Jesus was descended from, and from the human side as a descendant of David in verse 3. But then in verse 4, he says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Again, New Testament scholar Michael Bird says, whatever the world said about Jesus, by his resurrection, God has declared him to be his son. The resurrection marks out Jesus as the one in whom God's saving promises are made good. So how do we know that Jesus was who he claimed to be? How do we know that Jesus was the son of God? How do we know that on the cross that he made an acceptable sacrifice to God for our sins so that we can be saved? God raised him from the dead. And this is really cool. <clears throat> In verse 4, let's look at it again. When Paul says here that, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead... In Greek, <clears throat> the word his is not there. It just says, by resurrection from the dead, and dead is plural. What, what's Paul trying to get across? He, he is saying here that the resurrection of Jesus was not just sort of a freak miracle that happened just to him, but that the resurrection of Jesus is as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, his resurrection is the guarantee of the resurrection of all of us who are united to him by faith. I was looking at the, the first Star Wars movie the other day, A, a New Hope, and of course the, the, the movie revolves around the fact that uh, the evil empires developed this Death Star, this spaceship that can destroy whole planets. But plans of the Death Star have been smuggled out by Princess Leia, and uh, they've discovered a weakness there, a weak point. And, and of course, at the end of the film, the, 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 the destroyer is itself destroyed. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is like. The res resurrection of Jesus destroys the destroyer. Death for all who were united to Christ, to the risen Christ by faith. Now listen, imagine how this must have hit believers in house churches in Rome who were sitting there in 
right in the belly of the beast, the capital city of the Roman Empire, where the Caesar lives. Paul Paul says here at the end of verse 4, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That was the confession that these believers had made. Later on in the the letter, Paul is going to say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The confession Jesus is Lord was the confession that these believers made at their baptism. But Paul knew very well that in making that confession that Jesus is Lord, the implication is that Caesar is not. And that was getting these people persecuted. And so imagine these persecuted believers sitting, sitting in house churches in the heart of the capital city of the Roman Empire. Imagine how the message of the resurrection must have hit them who were suffering so much for their faith. The, the message of the resurrection says that no matter what you are going through now, and it says to you that no matter what trials you go through in this life, that your future is secure. Your future is glorious. Your future is to live forever with the risen Christ and a glorified body like his in a new heaven and earth. That's our future. And in the present, because we know that, because we have that assurance We can, as he's going to tell us in chapter 5, we can rejoice even in the midst of our sufferings. We can rejoice and joyfully share this message as the mission that God has given us. And we're going to talk about that more next week as we talk about the mission. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to walk through this precious letter together. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the good news that you love sinners so much that you came to us, that you were broken for us, that we can be healed of our brokenness, forgiven of our sins, given new lives. Thank you that our future is certain And that because of that, we don't have to worry. We can rejoice in the presence and joyfully serve you and joyfully be on mission for you. Speak in our hearts now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here today and God's working in your heart to just want to learn more about him, pastors are here to pray with you. We can do that during our time of invitation or after our service today. If God's working in your heart, say, I want to be a part of this church family. We would love to talk with you and pray with you uh, about that. Just as a need for prayer, um, we're here to pray with you. Our altar is open for you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything.
everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.